Well, good evening. It is good to be with you, and it's a privilege to participate in this year's Hamilton Summer Fellowship. I want to express my sincere thanks to my, uh, Dr. Michael Haken, who's not here with us today, but grateful uh, for him. I met him actually on the last day that I finished my doctorate. I was just leaving. I had finished defending, and I was leaving Kentucky for the day, and ready to come back home to Canada, and I met him there on the last day, and then he said, hey, let's connect when we get back to Canada, when you get back and I get back, and then uh, we've been meeting uh, frequently in, in church history projects and things like this on and on, and so grateful for his leadership in that area in the life of the church, and uh, it's great to be here at West Highland Baptist Church. It's a beautiful church. I had a tour of the facility. Pastor Chris took me around, and boy, what a beautiful place you have here, and I'm sure it's even more beautiful when it's filled with people, and uh, so we just continue to pray God's blessing from my church to your church. Pray God's blessing over you all, and so we are in the series, What is Truth?, and I have been asked to speak on John 8:32. The truth will set you free. And I want to read the scripture to you today. We're going to look at that section. If you turn with me to John chapter 8, verses 31 to 47. Uh, allow me to read. I'm reading from the New International Version. And then uh, we'll read from verses 31 all the way to 47. I'll give you a moment just to turn there with me. And uh, I'll, I'll read the scripture to you now. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said... If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I've seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God, and I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies... He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. And the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word this evening. It is a great privilege to break the word of God to the people that have gathered here today. Father, I ask that you would anoint my lips, Lord, that I would be able to communicate truth to your people. Thank you for the truth that we find in God's word in John chapter 8. And Lord, we're believing that you will speak truth into our lives, that you will remind us of how you have granted us great freedom. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you administer to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We open our hearts to you. We open our ears to you. Minister now to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. We are immediately given a unique insight from the Apostle John about the audience with whom Jesus is speaking. In verse 31, we read very important words. It says, to the Jews who had believed him. And as you might recall, the mission of God was first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. In other words, these Jewish believers represent early adopters to the Christian movement and faith. But as we read on, we quickly learn that Jesus was making no assumptions. Many among this group who said they believed in him actually did not believe in him. They would be among the throngs of people who shouted the words, crucify him, crucify him, as is recorded in the Passion narratives of the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. And the challenge presented to both the ancient audience and to modern-day readers of this passage is, do you really believe what you believe? In fact, let me just take that one step forward. I remember hearing Dr. Albert Moeller say these words, do you really believe what you believe you believe? This evening, I want to study with you John chapter 8, verse 31 to 47, and share about how truth, it gives way to freedom from sin, it gives freedom from the devil, and freedom from unbelief. Let's look at freedom from sin, and we look specifically at verses 33 to 36. Let me just refresh the scripture for your memory. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is a matter of sonship. This is a matter for us of daughtership. Really, who do we belong to? And the believing Jews gladly identified themselves as Abraham's descendants, and indeed they were, but they glibly ignored the fact that they were part of a people who had a history of bondage in Egypt, a people who were in captivity under the Assyrians and under the Babylonians, that this was part of who they were, this was part of their identity. And perhaps they were specifying that they had never been slaves during their own lifetime. But the reality is that they were being increasingly dominated by the Romans day after day. Their world was dark and grim. And their question indicates that they could not perceive their own enslavement. God forbid that even we, for, we uh, are unable to see our own enslavement to sin. Every time Jesus said the words, very truly, or truly, truly, or in the King James Version, it says, verily, verily, he was making a strong claim to truth. 
In the Greek, it borrows from the Hebrew as it is translated as this, amen, amen. It does not come after the sentence as an affirmation, but instead it comes at the beginning of the sentence as an attestation. It does not simply mean that what I am about to say is true. It means that the one who says this has firsthand knowledge of this truth and is a voice of authority on the matter. So Jesus says, amen and amen. And so with authority, Jesus is here and he's setting the record straight. And he said that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And the key word here for us is everyone. Everyone, because all have sinned, we are all enslaved. We know that the scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Suddenly, here is Jesus, and he shifts to the topic of slave-master relations. And this is a very popular relationship in the ancient world. This was very prominent. And sonship had its privileges, while slavery had its limitations. And when you and I, we think of slavery, we think of abusive power. But we need to also understand that there were positive relationships between slaves and masters. In fact, some felt like they were part of a family. Not a family they were born into, but a family they were bought into. And Jesus is telling us that as the Son, the Son of God, He has the power and He has the authority to emancipate a slave to sin. And from sin. I immediately think of Philemon and Onesimus. These two individuals in the Bible, in the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul, he endearingly referred to Onesimus as the spiritual son. And we see this in Philemon chapter 1, verse 10, where it says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. And here is the Apostle Paul in a very Christ-like manner, writing his epistle to Philemon in request of the emancipation of a runaway slave named Onesimus. In Philemon chapter 1, verses 15 to 16, the Apostle Paul, he wrote these words, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. And he is dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So on account of Jesus, on account of the appeal from Paul, Philemon is here being persuaded to do something Christ has already done for him. Something that he has experienced in his own life, a freedom from his own sin, and now he is to do that for the slave Onesimus. He was encouraged to let Onesimus return as something better than a slave and someone even more dear than a brother. Philemon alone had the authority to release him from this binding contract. You know, scripturally, we do not know what exactly happens thereafter. We are left with hope in verse 21, where we are told, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And so Paul has great hope in his heart that Philemon will hear his request and release Onesimus from his bonds. One of the influential church fathers was a man named Ignatius, Bishop of Antioch. And on his way to Rome, knowing that his journey was 
towards death, a death by wild animals, he wrote letters. Letters to different churches, to different places. And he wrote an epistle around 110 AD to the church at Ephesus, and he referenced their bishop named Onesimus. Could this be the same Onesimus about 50 years later? Or is this another Onesimus? Well, we don't know for sure, but it's very possible. If this is indeed the same Onesimus, we must stand then in awe and in wonder of how God took a slave and made him a bishop. It's quite an amazing transformation. Now, if this would have happened... This would not have happened if Paul had not appealed on his behalf, on the behalf of Onesimus, and Philemon did not free Onesimus. So we return back to the main text of John chapter 8, where freeing the slave was likened to freeing a person from sin, but even more to welcoming a person into the family of God. And this is exactly what Christ has come to do for us. He invites us into his family. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer prisoners. We become part of the family of God. He has emancipated us from our enslavement to sin. And he has welcomed us into his family. We are adopted. Secondly, we see freedom from the devil in verse 44. Scripture says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. And he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And whenever he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now this is a matter of fatherhood, not sonship, a matter of fatherhood. And Jesus is clear that fatherhood has an impact on our desires. To some degree, whether we like it or not, we are like our fathers and we are like our mothers. We share their DNA. We maybe bear some resemblance. Maybe there's some hereditary things that are passed on from one generation to the next generation. So in a spiritual sense, we are like our father. But who is our father? Jesus, he differentiates between two options for us. There is the Father who is the devil, and then there is the Father who is God the Father. And we see in Scripture that the devil was a murderer. The key word that gives us context is from the beginning. We see this phrase, from the beginning. Jesus is pointing back to an event in history, yes, the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And it was sin that led to death, so that Satan is rightly being accused here of being a murderer. But this was not just a physical death. This is a spiritual death. It was Jesus who said in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes only to steal and to what? Kill and destroy. This is his modus operandi, that he is not necessarily after the body, though the body is collateral damage, but he is ultimately after the soul. And Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Wow, okay. But cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Jesus is fully aware of what is happening behind the scenes. In verse 37, he exposed the motives of some among the believing Jews. When he said these words, yet you are looking for a way to kill me. They go from believers to people who want to kill him. It says, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. And then we go to verse 40, and he reiterates this. He says, as it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Jesus validated why he was calling them children of the devil. Because as the saying goes, as the father, so the son. Or he is his father's son. So we see that the devil was a murderer, but now also we see that the devil is a liar. It was not doubt alone, but it was a lie that brought about sin and death in the Garden of Eden. Because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, we read these words, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. It was based on a lie. And while Adam and Eve were not struck dead, I think that's what we were all expecting, they weren't struck dead immediately, and they lived up to their 900s. We know that Adam died at the age of 930. Imagine living that long. No, thank you. But they experienced a spiritual death of separation from God. In response to his own question, who is the liar? In 1 John chapter 2, 22 to 23, the apostle John, he answered, it is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is who a liar is. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. And no one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. I think we can all understand the fact that we're living in a world that is hostile to Christianity. It is in blatant denial of the truth. We live in a world full of lies, a web of lies. And much of our world has believed lies, and in doing so, people have become liars, and they lead other people astray. That's the ripple effect. It's also important to recognize that there is no such thing as a half-truth. There is only the truth, and then there are many lies. You know, the Jews, they claimed to love and to accept the Father. They loved the Lord, their God, and they believed that he was one. But at the same time, they were hating and denying his son, and they couldn't see it. In verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I had not come on my own. God sent me. Many believed that Jesus was lying, and so, in part, they became antichrist. They became in denial. They were against him. But that's not the case with you and I. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ, his Son. We are truth-tellers instead of liars, because the devil is not our father. And thirdly today, we have a freedom from unbelief. We see this specifically in verses 45 to 47. Scripture says, Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? 
Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. And the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. These are hard words for the Jewish believers to hear, to accept. This is a matter of faith. And Jesus expressed his frustration when he asked two questions of these so-called believers, these Jewish audience, this believing Jewish audience in front of him. In verse 43, this is the question he asked. He says, why is my language not clear to you? Was it poor communication on Jesus' part? I don't think so. Was he confusing things instead of clarifying things? I don't think so either. You know, Jesus' next question identifies the real issue. In verse 46, he says, why don't you believe me? This is a question of belief. This is a question of faith. And it is here that Jesus made a defense before his accusers. He asked them to provide proof that he was not telling the truth. He asked them to provide proof that he was guilty of sin. And if you just bring the evidence and showcase the evidence for all to see, then maybe we can talk. But if you have no proof, then you have nothing to say. And we know that none could be provided. Now, some of us might start to feel sympathetic. I do, at times, for the people in the Bible who just don't get it. We can feel sympathetic towards the audience in John chapter 8. I mean, who could blame them? Maybe if we were there, we would have done the same. Is it easier for those who have seen Jesus to believe or for those who have not seen Jesus to believe? Which is the easier option? Well, let us consider what the Apostle John said in John 20, verse 29. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Wow. It was much easier for them to believe than it is for even us to believe. And yet we believe. And they did not believe. The key question for us today is this. Why did they first believe and then later stop believing? That has been the question that has been plaguing my mind. We're first introduced to them in verse 31 as believing Jews. Now all of a sudden they want to kill him. What has changed? What happened in the short span of 16 verses of scripture that they went from fans and followers to foes and enemies? The truth that Jesus shared made the Jews feel very uncomfortable. He was challenging their paradigms. And without an activation of faith in their lives, they were not able to perceive the truth. And they could not accept Jesus' claim to be greater than the patriarchs. They could not accept Jesus' claim to be greater than the prophets. That was beyond that. That was too much for them. That was beyond for them. And they could not see God incarnate standing right in front of them speaking directly to them. They were so entrenched in the traditions of their religion. As a pastor, I'm continually amazed by how many Christians attend church, especially on a Sunday, yet they still live in a state of unbelief. 
They mentally assent to, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. We believe in him. He is the truth. He sets us free. But when push comes to shove and life gets difficult, they struggle to believe. They believe in a religion instead of a relationship. They believe in a God of the past or maybe in a God of the future, but not in a God of the present, a God who speaks to us, a God who frees us today. I think of Scripture and the case of a father with a boy possessed with an evil spirit. And before we ever get to the miracle in that story, we need to pay attention to Mark chapter 9, verse 19, where Jesus He expresses some of his frustration, naturally so. He says these words, You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Now we hear that and we say, Jesus, you're being a little too tough. They're trying their best. But the reality is there was unbelief. When Jesus started by exposing the unbelief in that generation, And then it takes us into Mark chapter 9, verses 22 and 23. And the man said, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. And so Jesus continued by exposing the unbelief in the Father that day. And the phrase, if you can, is not full of belief. It's actually the opposite. It's kind of full of unbelief. Is Jesus willing or not willing? Of course Jesus is willing. Can Jesus heal or not heal? Of course Jesus can heal. And nothing is too difficult for him. In fact, everything is possible for him. And yet in spite of all of this, the Father says something so profound in verse 24 that I think we can all relate to. It is possible to believe and yet still struggle with unbelief. That's trivial for us. We can know the truth, but at the same time not be fully convinced of the truth. And our unbelief is something that we must overcome. It is something that we must experience freedom from. Well, as we think about this passage and what it means for us today, we have to come back to the the first question. The question of this series is, what is truth? And this is not a text on truth in a pluralistic world, filled with world religions. This is not truth in the midst of Hinduism, and truth in the midst of Islam, and truth in the midst of Buddhism, and truth in the midst of Sikhism, and truth in the midst of Jainism and other world religions. This is a text on truth in a Judeo-Christian framework. It addresses the divisiveness among those who quote-unquote believe. And so it is possible to be so close and yet at the same time so far. And I don't think we want to be like these believing Jews. We want to genuinely believe. You know, Jesus, he came to the earth to bear witness to the only truth, the truth that sets people free. I was thinking to myself of some scriptures that come to mind as to the reason why Jesus came. 
And the acceptance of Jesus, it grants us a freedom from sin. The apostle uh, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Christ Jesus, the reason why he came into this world was to save sinners. The acceptance of Jesus, it grants us a freedom from the devil. The apostle John, he wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. This is the reason why Jesus came. He's come to save sinners. He's come to destroy the works of the devil. The acceptance of Jesus it grants us a freedom from unbelief. The Apostle John, he also wrote in John chapter 6, verse 29, that the work of God is this, simply put, that people would believe in the one he has sent to actually help us to move from unbelief to belief. Friends, this is what we're talking about today. That Jesus is speaking to us through his word. Through John chapter 8, verses 31 to 47. That there is truth that gives way to freedom. That if you hold on to Jesus' teaching today, you would then really be his disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I hope that all of us can overcome sin in our lives. I hope that all of us can overcome the devil in our lives. I hope that all of us can overcome the unbelief in our lives. But the only way we'll ever be able to do that is because of the truth of Jesus that sets us free. So I encourage you to continue pondering on this question, what is truth? Because each week, like stone upon stone, we're learning and expanding our understanding of the impact of truth on our lives. Jesus is truth, and he grants us a freedom that no one else can give. And we are all recipients of that today. That if we accept the truth of Jesus, we receive a liberty and a freedom like never before. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the way you continue to speak to our hearts as the weeks have gone on. You have used different individuals to break the word of God to us. And Lord, I pray that tonight, Lord, as we apply your word to our hearts, Lord, I pray that you would grant us true freedom, freedom in the area of sin. For some of us, this is a very difficult thing. We are entrapped in sin and can't find the freedom Lord, for others, Lord, it is a matter of experience of the attack of the devil in our lives and the inability to move forward in Christ. And I pray that you'd grant us a new freedom through Christ our Lord. And Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with unbelief right now. Whatever they may be facing and how daunting it may seem, Lord, may they believe in the one you sent. And may we all experience and walk in the freedom because Christ has set us free. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.